Let's pray before we begin. Lord please let us understand your word and put it in our hearts. May it shape our lives to be more like your Son. In Jesus' name we ask, Amen. story is a very interesting one. The Syrians had been at war and had conquered the city of Samaria. They, there was a famine among the people of God, and if you'll follow carefully, and then we'll be looking down. The Syrian army was, had conquered Samaria, and God's people were in dire circumstances. Not only because they were at war and were seemingly losing the war, but because a famine had been sent by God as a judgment. By the way, our nation is just about to know what this is talking about. I do not believe it will be ten years before this nation has a serious shortage of food. It could be much sooner than that. And we're going to find out one of these days that there's a God in heaven. And that God can send floods and ruin our crops and God can withhold rain and ruin our crops. And one of these days, this wicked, God-defying, atheistic, heathen, godless generation is going to find out that the God of the Old Testament is still alive today. And judgment's going to fall on this nation as sure as I'm standing behind this pulpit. And famine can still come. And pestilence can still come. And disease can still come. And America, strong, proud, haughty America, can, can fall on her knees and be defeated. And she will. And she will soon. Well, a famine had come. And so God's people were facing two serious adversities. One was war and seeming imminent and sure defeat. The other was famine. But God places, well, Elisha the prophet. God bless Elisha. I like Elisha. Several reasons. One, he was bald-headed. Not like anybody bald-headed. And, uh, but, uh, Elisha was a, a great prophet of God. And, uh, Elisha had prophesied in the midst of the famine, at the, at the, is there a peak of the famine, at the depth of the famine, at the, uh, at the, at the, at the worst point in the famine. Uh, Elisha had prophesied that in 24 hours the famine would be over. Nobody believed him. He told here that food would get cheaper and uh, folks could afford to buy food, but nobody believed him. Huh. How in the world, in 24 hours, can a famine be stopped? And God used four lepers in a beautiful way to stop the famine with his people. Now listen carefully and I'll tell you what happened. Well, let's just look at it. Look in verse 3 of Second Kings chapter 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. Let's stop there for a minute. Leprosy in the Bible is a symbol of sin. Those of you who understand the Bible know that leprosy symbolizes sin in the Bible. It symbolizes sin, and the leprosy usually starts on the eyelid with a pimple on the eyelid, or on the palm of the hand, or both places. Sin is the same way. Sin starts, uh, what, what happened uh, to uh, uh, Eve in the Garden of Eden? She saw that the, food, that the, that the fruit, uh, tree was good for food. What happened to Achan when he, when he stole the garment and the money? He said, I saw, I coveted. I took. That's one reason why the television is going to send America to hell if we don't watch out. Because it's the eye that where leprosy starts, and the eye is where sin usually starts. And so, uh, and then a little pimple on the hand. And so when you see, you think. Uh, Achan said, I saw, I coveted, I took. And therefore, leprosy symbolizes sin in that it starts with a pimple on the eye and then a pimple on the hand. Well, Leprosy symbolizes sin in that it spreads very rapidly to the entire body. Leprosy symbolizes sin in that it is very, very contagious. Leprosy symbolizes sin in that eventually the leper must be separated from society, unable to enter into society. For example, a leper could not enter into the city. Uh, it says here they were at the gate. They were, the, the, these lepers were at the gate. They were outside the city, if you please. Now, follow the story very carefully. These four leprous men, uh, let's let the, we, we four be these leprous men. And uh, uh, we four, leprous men, and they're outside the gate. Why outside the gate? They couldn't go inside. 
Now, what were they doing outside the gate? Well, they were not in the city because it was not lawful that they go in the city. But they were at the gate because they would stay around the gate hoping somebody would throw food out. Maybe they'd throw their garbage out, and these lepers would go through the garbage and get what edible food they could, they could find. Or maybe some friend inside the city would come to the gate of the city and throw food out to these lepers. And so here's the wall around the city, and outside the city are huddled these four leprous men, hoping the gates will open, the doors will open to the city, and somebody will throw food out. But there's a famine inside the city, and there's no food. They're hungry in the, on the inside, and so these lepers began to realize there'd be no food thrown out those gates for their, for their, for, for their uh, strength. And uh, so, uh, the friends could not come, and they, of course, could not find food. So, in verse 4, look at it. Uh, verse 3, rather. There are four leprous men at the entering end of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit here until we die? Let me ask you a question tonight. Why would a person sit in these pews? Why would a person, <clears throat> knowing there's a heaven, knowing there's a hell, knowing he's got to die, knowing he has to face his God, why would a man sit and die and go to hell when he doesn't have to go to hell? You listen to me tonight. Nobody has to go to hell. This wicked teaching that goes up and down our country that God saves whom he will, when he will, and uh, God saves just the elect, and some are elected to salvation, and some are elected to damnation, that's not in the Bible. It's not scripture. You don't go to hell because it's God's fault. You go to hell because it's your fault. If you die and go to hell, you die and go to hell because you choose to go to hell. If you die without God, you choose to die without God. Now, you, you, say, you say, well, I'm waiting for the right time to come. The right time has come. You quit sitting there and dying when the right time has come. The Bible says now is the accepted time. The day is the day. And if you, listen, if you die without God, it's your fault. Jesus has paid for your salvation. Salvation's free. All you've got to do is take it. And the Word of God tells you how you can take it. And preachers have told you. And lovers have prayed for you. If you die and go to hell, it's because you just sit there and die. And these four leprous men had more sense than you. They said, they said, why sit we here and die? We don't have to die. Why sit we here and die? Let's go a step further and look at it now. If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. Now follow me. You're the city out here, and here are the four leprous men. We get together and we say, now, now look, I say, fellows, why should we die? We don't have to die here. Why should we die? If we go in the city, we're going to starve to death there. There's no food there. And then if they go on to say, look at it, it says, um, uh, and if we are still here, we die also. If there's no food in the city, then we won't get any food here. We get our food from folks who throw, the, throw food out the gates. If they have no food there, if we go in the city, we die. They'll kill us if we die. They'll stone us because lepers cannot go in the city. If we stay here, there's no food to be thrown out here. We'll die here. So if we go in the city, we die. If we stay here, we die. Well, let's see what, the, what it says here. Now, therefore, come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. Now, follow me carefully. Everyone, listen carefully, and you'll learn something. Here we are, the four of us, and I want to call you fellows together. Here we are outside the city. There's the city. Now, the famine's in the city. If we go in there, we're going to die. We're lepers. If we go in there, they'll kill us. They'll stone us because it's against the law. But if we sit here, we're going to die. There's no food in the city. There's a famine. If we sit here, we'll die. Now, look, we have nothing to lose. Why don't we go surrender ourselves to the Syrian army? They may kill us, but okay, what do they do? We, we're going to die here. We're going to die if we go in the city. They may kill us, but if they take us as prisoners of war and let us live, they may give us something to eat. So we have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Does that, does that make sense? If they go in the city, they die. If they stay out outside the gate, they die. I ha we have no chance to live if we stay here. We have no chance to live if we go in the city. We have a 50-50 chance to live if we go surrender to the Syrians. By the way, listen to me. Did you know that if, well, I was on the plane, a plane the other day flying out west, and the fellow beside me was a, had, a, had his master's degree and was studying for his Ph.D. I he said, I don't believe in heaven and hell. I don't believe in that pie in the sky stuff. I, I'm, a, I'm an intellectual. And uh, I didn't tell him he was a fool, but uh, I could have. But I'm an intellectual. I don't believe it. He said, I believe when man dies, his body goes to dust and he has no soul. I don't think he lives forever. I don't believe in it. Don't believe in heaven or hell. 
And I said, sir, what's your IQ? He said, 135. I said, the Army said mine was 141. So we have the same type IQ. Is that good or bad? What's yours? 93? Uh, almost. And, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, I, said, uh, I said, now look, we both have the same amount of intelligence, I'm sure. Uh, I said, I've been to college. You've been to college. I've been to state university. You've been to state university. Now, I said, suppose that you're right and I'm wrong. Suppose there's no heaven. Suppose there's no hell. When we both die, where do you go? He said, I go to the grave. That's it. I said, where do I go? He said, you go to the grave. That's it. I said, then if you're right and I'm wrong, I don't lose a thing, do I? No. No, you don't. And I said, now, if I'm right and you're wrong, where do I go? He said, you go to heaven. And I said, where do you go? He said, I go to hell. Now, I said, what can I lose? He said, nothing. I said, okay, I, I can't lose a thing. What chance do you stand? He said, 50-50. And then his mouth fell open. And he said, man, for a fellow with 135 IQ, five IQ, I'm sure taking a chance, aren't I? And I said, you don't have to take that chance anymore. And he trusted Christ on the airplane. You see, that's what I'm trying to say. They said, they said, well, look, what, what, what do we have to lose? And let me ask you a question. What do you have to lose? By receiving Christ as your Savior and trusting Him as your personal Savior. And so, look at it again. It says they'll kill us. If they kill us, we shall but die. They can't do any more than kill us, they said. Now look down to verse 5. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. Now get this. Get this. Fellas, we're just going to, it's so like holding your nose and jumping in. Uh, we're going to die if we sit here. We're starving. We're going to die if we go in the city. There's no food. And they're going to kill us anyway. And so we have 50-50 chance of living if we go to the Syria. Let's just go give ourselves up. And so, come here, fellas. Let's, let's, let's get in the huddle here. Here are the Syrians over here. And uh, uh, you scared? Yes, sir. I'm scared, dead. Yes. But we're going to die if we stay here, so what do you think we'll do? Let's try to go to the Syrians. As we're going over there. Okay. <laughs> jump, hold our nose and jump in. <laughs> okay. And come on, fellas, follow me. On second thought, let me follow you. But uh, uh, here we go. Come on, fellas. We're going to go over here. Boy, boy, you know what? There's a big crowd of these Syrians. Man, they've got the biggest army in the whole east. I'll tell you one thing. And so they came over, and guess what? Not a Syrian was there. Not a Syrian was there. Good night, man. Uh, let me tell you what happened. Thank you, fellas. We're, we're going to have fun. We're going to eat in a minute. But, uh, <coughs> but look, look down to verse. What's the matter? Uh, huh? He sat in your chair, huh? He didn't feel as much of it as you do, but anyway. So these, these four Syrians, they came to the, these four uh, lepers, they came to the camp of the Syrians, and the Syrians were gone. What had happened? Now I look at verse 6, and you're going to find a beautiful thing. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. The Lord, the Lord, uh, what did the Lord do? He said, he, he, did, he, he didn't fight against them. He made the Syrian army to hear a, a, a noise of a great host of chariots and horses. And it says, And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians. Because they said, Good night! That's not just the Israelite army. All those horses and chariots, those, they got the Hittites and the Israelites and the, and the Egyptians, and they're all coming. Man, let's go! And the Syrian army fled. You know why? Because God made it sound like there were horses and chariots. Now, if you, you want to know where those horses and chariots came from, look back to chapter 6 and verse 15, and you'll find a story of Elisha. I won't have, have time to go into it. It said, When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots, and his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Elisha had been, had been uh, attacked, was being attacked, by the entire Syrian army. And uh, God, they had compassed the, the city of Dothan, where Elisha was living, 
And God had let horses and chariots come from heaven. Did you know they have horses and chariots in heaven? Where do you think, where do you, where do you think the, the chariot came, the, the horses and chariot came that got Elijah and took him to heaven? And so what had happened? God sent heaven's chariots and horses and came and stood over Elisha. Now what happened here? God said, hey, hey, all you horses, all you chariots, all you uh, uh, fellows driving the chariots, hey, come here, go down there. I don't want you to fight against the Syrian army. I want you just to get up in the air and make a bunch of noise. Don't let them see you. But I want you to prance, you horses, and rattle, you chariots. And uh, all of a sudden they heard the noise of the prancing of the horses and the rattling of the chariots. And the Syrian army said, oh, my, the Israelites are coming. They've got the Hittites, they've got the Egyptians, they've got the Hivites, the Virgishites, the Camelites, and, the, and all the rest of them. And they're, and they're coming on us. Let's go. And do you know when these four leprous men came to the camp of the Syrians? Well, let's see what happened. Look, if you would, please, to verse uh, 7. When they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life, and when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it. And, it, and came again and went into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Can you imagine how these lepers felt? They felt like a little ten-year-old boy that went to Howard Johnson and it was open and nobody was there and had 44, 34 flavors, like the little boy went to Howard Johnson and said, what kind of ice cream do you have? She said, we have mint chocolate almond, we have Swiss chocolate almond, we have banana, we have cherry, we have lemon, we have strawberry, we have strawberry nut, we have, uh, uh, what's that, pistachio, we have, uh, we have uh, chocolate revel. She called off all the flavors, and she said, no, what kind do you want? And he said, give me vanilla ice cream. And uh, so like a little boy that, that uh, uh, found himself uh, in, the, or like a, a southern fellow who found himself in a watermelon patch that said, take all you want. Um, and a certain kind of a southern fellow. Anyway, uh, we, uh, uh, that these four fellows came. Now bear in mind they were hungry. Bear in mind they were lepers. Bear in mind they hadn't eaten for days. Bear in mind there was a famine back in the land. And here they were all huddled up outside the city, waiting for someone to throw food from out within the city, outside the gate, so they could have something to eat. And suddenly the news came. There was a famine inside the city, nothing to eat inside, nothing to throw out to them on the outside. And they said, if we stay here, we'll die. If we go in there, we'll die. Let's just go on the, the Syrians and let's give ourselves up, and maybe they won't kill us, maybe they'll feed us. And they get there, and the Syrian army is gone. Why? Because God in heaven had sent his chariots and made such a noise, they were afraid. And can you feature these fellows eating? They, so what happened? They, they decided to, to go into a tent. And they walked into a tent. I'll bring some back to you fellows. They, they walked in the tent. Good night. Look at here. All these black-eyed peas and squash and okra and, uh, and uh, all of this, this good old soul food in here. And for, you, and, for, and for you Yankees, pizza. But we have made a compromise now. Here we have black-eyed pea pizza is what we eat here. And all this food, good. Now, hey, fella, hey, hey, come here, come here. Hey, come here, come on. Hey, man, look here. You, you can't go very fast because you're tired. Look at there, boy. <laughs> and look, the Syrians are all gone. <laughs> what happened? But the Syrians are gone. Just eat, man. Let's just go all we can. Let's take it back over here and dig it home. Let's, let's put it back over here and, and, and dig a hole. Dig, dig a hole, put it in there. Put it in the deep freeze there. We got that's it. Oh, come on. Let's get some more now. Let's go get some more. Come on. Let's go to look at this tent over here. This guy's got more than this fellow had. Look over here at this tent. Get some more. Here, here, here. Get, get, let's go dig a hole. Put it here. Put it here. And just hey, go don't stop. Get over there and get some more. Put it, put it in there. Dig a hole. Put it in there. Hey, that's great. <laughs> Hold it, fellas. Hold it. Now look what happened. Now, now I, want, I want to stop and say something here. What did they do to raise this crop and get this food? Nothing. God had provided it for them by his own grace. But they had to take it. God is simply showing us here that salvation is of the Lord. What caused the Syrian army to flee? Heaven caused it to flee. What caused the food to be here? Heaven caused the food to be here. Who provides salvation? Heaven provides salvation. Thank you, fellows. We'll do, we'll, we'll do some more in a minute. Heaven provides salvation. You don't get saved because you hang on faithful to the end. 
I was listening to a radio station the other day, and a lady called in to testify, and she said, Just thank God I'm holding out faithful and hope to make heaven my home. I wanted to say, Sister, you won't make heaven your home if, you, if you're trying to make it your home by holding out faithful. I mean, there's no way in this world. God calls the Syrian army to flee. Heaven provided the salvation. Heaven took care of the victory. Heaven won the battle. And salvation is of the Lord. It's not because you joined the church. It's not because you live a good life. It's not because you do good deeds. It's not because you're a good husband. It's not because you're a good father. It's not because you're a good wife. It's not because you take communion. It's not because you turn over a new leaf. Salvation is of the Lord. It's of Him. All you can do is take it. But, brother, you've got to take it. You've got to take it. Now, these fellows could have had all the food of the entire Syrian army and starved to death if they waited for, for a feeling. Brother, if you're hungry and there's food there, that's all the feeling you need. And if you realize you're lost, God, through Jesus, has provided your salvation for you. Through Jesus' death on the cross, tis done, the great transaction is done. I am my Lord's and He is mine. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson flood. He washed it white as snow. Tis Jesus who paid the price. You cannot provide your own salvation. Your preacher can't. Your pope can't. Your communion can't. Your baptism can't. Your confirmation can't. Your uh, being dedicated as a baby can't. Your good life can't. All you can do to be saved is take what heaven's provided for you. But you'll die and go to hell unless you take it. You can starve to death at a banquet table elaborately covered with food if you don't take it. You can, you can drown in, a, in an ocean with a life raft by your side if you don't get on it. You can starve to death from lack of water with all the water uh, of, of, the, of the water supply handy if you don't drink it. Then you can die and go to hell if you don't rise and take salvation. I'm talking to someone tonight. In this service, who's sitting there saying, when my time comes, I'll be saved. You'll end up in hell as sure as an arrow's going to its mark. Why set you there and die? These men said, we don't have to die. God provided for them miraculous bounty with Assyrian food and chased the Assyrian army with heaven, horses, and chariots. But they had to take it. They had to take it. A strange thing happened. Strange thing. Look at verse 9. Then said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. Now follow me. <coughs> Fellows, start digging your holes again. We've emptied two tents. Uh, that's, okay, let's put all the food in here. We've emptied two tents. Let's just fill it up, boy. Man, we've got enough food to last us for a long time, haven't we? Wait a minute, fella. And you follow this carefully. Wait a minute. Do you know the whole Syrian army was camped over there? Do you know there are thousands of tents? <laughs> we just cut food out of two. Think how much food must be left over there. Huh? You know, this is not right. We're only concerned about ourselves. Do you know that all of our people back home are hungry in Samaria? <laughs> God's liable to kill us if we don't go back and share with them. There's enough for all our people. We ought not to be selfish. Let's go back and tell them what we found and tell them all to come. And they don't have to die. They can live because there's enough food there. What do you say? Thank you, fellas. Now, that's, that's, that's an amazing story. Here these fellows are. They have found enough food. They've eaten themselves. You can tell they've eaten themselves. Always a skinny fellow on the end. He, and, uh, <clears throat> but they've eaten themselves. And they have dig holes. And they put the food in the holes. And finally one of them said, We do not well. We're selfish. Any person who's saved and doesn't shout it and tell it is selfish and not right with God. Yeah, you may be saved, but you're supposed to tell it. Listen to me. Over there in that great city of Chicago tonight, there are millions of people who know not one thing about the heavenly manna God's prepared for our souls. 
we come to First Baptist Church and we say, Boy, what a good church we have. Boy, don't we like the music. Boy, we got the loudest mouth preacher in all the whole area. Boy, I'll tell you what, we like our schools and we're moving our kids here and we want our kids to grow up and be something. But right over there in the city of Chicago, there are millions of people who've never heard yet that Jesus died for the sins of men. Boys and girls who know nothing about salvation except trying to do, go to confession and do penance and some wicked, godless priest standing up and leading them astray and not telling them there's a heaven and a hell and that Jesus is the difference. Somebody's got to go tell those dear people. And let me say this, we do not well if we don't tell them. We do not well if we don't tell them. It's not enough for you to, uh, all across this, this Chicago area, Little groups are meeting tonight in Bible study, deeper life, Keswick kind of meetings, and, and examining the Word of God to find out what the beast means, and what the hair on the beast's head means, and what his leg stands for, and what the foot on the leg stands for, and what the toe on the foot stands for, and what the nail on the toe stands for, what the polish on the nail stands for, and, uh, and rejoicing in the great salvation we have. We do not well till we share it! And then they said, God's going to punish us if we don't share it. And God's going to punish us if we don't share it. I was thinking a while ago, 20,000 folks may sound like a big number to you, but Brother Vinyard, that doesn't sound very big to me in this area. That just doesn't sound very big to me. Could you ask me one question? Come on. Uh, you go share it and you don't. You want to go back and let's go back and tell them about the food, okay? How about you? Well, come on, man. Folks are hungry back home. There's enough food for everybody. Come on, man. How about you? You were gonna go? Yeah, look, folks. We we got all we can. We got enough food to last us the rest of our lives, and there's food back there for our people. They're hungry. Come on, let's go. Ask a question. Do you think? Do you think that this fellow here has any more right? Or the, uh, do you think this fellow has any more commission? to go back and tell the people what he's found and the other two? No, and you don't have any excuse either not to go soul winning. If you have been saved, if you have, if you have found the pearl of greatest price, eternal life so rare, through the Savior's sacrifice you found salvation there, if you are saved, it is God's commission. You have no choice in this matter whatever. Every deacon ought to be a soul winner. Every staff member ought to be a soul winner. Every Sunday school teacher ought to be a soul winner. Every born-again believer who's found it ought to tell it to the house cop. This Christianity that says, I'll find it and trust the Lord to convict others, it's not Bible Christianity. God only convicts others when those who found it carry the message back to others. And these four lepers said, we're going to go back. We, we've, we've got some for ourselves, but it's not right for us to enjoy it ourselves and not to share it. I long for the day to come when every member of this church obeys the command of God to go back. But you say, for the house, uh, I'm not turned that way. Get on your knees and God will turn you around. But you say, I'm not built that way. God will rebuild you if you'll get right with God. But you say, for the house, I'm 85 years of age. The Bible doesn't say those under 85 went. All went. But you sit the house, I'm only a teenager. I, I'm not old enough to go soul winning. If you are saved, you are commanded to go soul winning. But you sit the house, I'm timid. Okay, then, suck your thumb while you go, but go! Nobody's excused. Nobody's exempt. Nobody has a permit not to go. Every preacher, every man on this platform... Every person in this choir, every deacon on our board, every teacher on our faculty, every born-again person on the role of this church has the commandment from the commanding officer of heaven saying, Go! Go! Why? I've found it! I've got to go share it with somebody else. And so these men said, We're going to go back. We do not well. For this is a day of good tidings. This is a... You know, I've often thought of the things I'd like to be if I weren't a preacher. I'd like to be the spreader of good news. I've often thought that if I were a lady, and, and, and I'd, like to be a, uh, I'd like to be the nurse in the maternity ward that says, it's a boy. Or in the case of the speeders, it's another one. 
and another and another and another and another. I've often thought I'd like to be the nurse that told the good news. Or I've often thought that if, if I were not a preacher, I'd like to be the fellow who passed out discharges in the army. Huh? Man alive. Happiest day in my life is when I got saved. Nearly as happy as the day I got discharged from the army. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on civilian clothes. But, brother, God has given me the joy of telling people this is the day of good tidings. Good <laughs> these fellows that we can eat. Not only are we not going to die, but we have an abundant life. And that's what God gives you when you come to Christ. Saves you from hell and gives you the happiest life in all the world. Now, follow me what they got. First, they ate, and that's partaking of salvation. Then it says they found silver. That's the redemption of our, of our sin. sin. And then they found gold, that's making us partaker of the divine nature. And then, then they found garments, and that's the covering that God gives us at salvation. And that's what we're supposed to do. The minute we come and find food, we're to carry that food. Tell others about the food. We found it. We found it. You folks have heard me tell this time and time again, but it illustrates so graphically what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> the Lord performed a special miracle on my toes and heal me of ingrown toenails. Blessed be God. But I used to have ingrown toenails that would make cancer of the lungs look like just a bad cold. Leukemia cringed when it saw my toe. And it, it got so big, the toe got so big, that it always was in the way. And everybody felt led to step on my toe. <clears throat> and I've got ten toes. When I'd get up in the middle of the night, not a one of the other nine ever hit anything. But the one that had been growing toenail always hit everything. And when, when, I, when I groped my way through the room and the lamp fell off of the table, it never hit this toe, or this one, or this one, or this little piggy, or this one. You liked that, didn't you? It never hit any of these other five except the one big one. And I can recall telling about my infirmity from this pulpit. My folks realizing that the Grim Reaper was soon to come and take me to the great beyond, got burdened about my condition. I can recall telling it from this pulpit. I walked out the door. Opened the door before I got inside the hall real, well, real, real, real good. A lady met me. She had gone out during the closing prayer and gone down through the catacombs underneath here and up around here and met me over there. She said, Pastor, I want to tell you how you can get rid of that ingrown toenail. I said, Praise the Lord. What is it? She said, Just take your fingernail file and stick it underneath I mean, she'd already gone beyond my capabilities. I mean, she had... <laughs> I mean, already the Holy Spirit was talking to me, saying, this is not the answer. And she said, you just lift it up. She said, especially on the ends, lift up each end. Now, if anybody's ever had an ingrown toenail, they know you don't lift up either end. Either end. And she said, what will happen? She said, she said it will grow over the, the skin. I said, Sister, I'd rather cut my toe off, honestly. So I walked out in the alley, started down the alley, and a man met me. Hey, preacher, I didn't grow a toenail. <clears throat> I'll tell you something. By the way, this lady told me that that's the way she cured hers. She preached, the fellow said, now, preacher, get your razor blade. And already I felt a little reluctant. He said, get your razor blade. He said, if you'll take that razor blade and just cut a V... <laughs> The thought of it absolutely gave me temperature. He said, you cut a V. I said, man, there's not enough room to cut the V. I've been trying to dig that thing out my fingernail. And, and, and I said, there's not any room to cut the V. Well, he said, well, I got rid of mine. I walked over to the office. Walked, I walked in the, room, in the uh, door from the alley. Walked up to the office. A lady was waiting for me. Preacher, I'll tell you something about the ingrown toenail. She said, there's a new medicine now called Ingrow. 
outgrow, upgrow, downgrow. Uh, anyway, she said, now, all you've got to do is get you a knife. And uh, razor blades and knives and fingernail files didn't appeal to me at all. Do you know before I went home that night, I had had over a dozen people tell me how to get rid of an ingrowing toenail. And every person said, that's the way I got relief. They had compassion on me. Anybody who's ever had an ingrowing toenail and who's ever walked through the house and hit it on the, <laughs> on, the, on the table, anybody knows that there's no suffering known to man. Childbirth is but play compared to that pain. I say that from hearsay and not from experience. This is not testimony time, is it? But that found the cure. That found the cure. That, you know, selfish is the person who finds the cure and won't share it with those who have the same malady. And selfish is the Christian who's found the pearl of greatest price. I mean, think about it. We go to bed tonight. We can go to sleep. We can go to bed tonight and know that if we died through the night, we'd be with Christ. I mean, we have no worries at all. Christ is in us the hope of glory. We found it. <laughs> we, I told you the story. I think I did. I preached so much, and I forget what to tell where. But I was preaching in, uh, in Hazel Park, Michigan, at Dr. David Allen's church. They have a new auditorium now. They didn't then. I was preaching to a great crowd on a Saturday night. And I, I, I got caught up in the sermon, and I said, This is Saturday night. All over America, I said, Folks are looking for something tonight. Men are stumbling in the night, clubs and taverns and dives and dens, trying to find the answer. But they'll not find it there. I said, Young people are going tonight to hippie meetings and communist rallies and taking dope trying to find the answer. They won't find it there. I said, People are going tonight to night clubs and frequenting taverns trying to find the answer to the, to the need of the heart, but they won't find it there. And then all of a sudden I became overcome with the fact that we found it. We found what the hippie is looking for. We found what the dope pusher is looking for. We found what the alcoholic is looking for. We found the answer. And suddenly I ran, ran over to the window. It wasn't air conditioned. It was summertime. I ran over to the window. I, 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 I shouted out the window, Hey, out there! We found it! And there was a, a big uh, expressway going right beside the church. And I just screamed as loud as I could. Hey, we found it! We found it! After I finished preaching, folks came by to shake my hand. I fellowship for a while. I went out to get in the car. An old fellow walked up and he said, you, They told me you're the fellow that spoke a while ago. I said, Yes, I am. He said, What did you find? I said, What do you mean? He said, You hollered through the window. You found it. He said, What did you lose? <laughs> I said, I haven't lost anything, but I found it. He said, what did you find? And I said, I found that Jesus is the answer. And that old man on the Saturday night with alcohol in his breath but not drunk, his lips began to quiver. And he said, tell me what you found. And I told him this wonderful story of love. Tell it to me again. Wonderful story of love. Wake the immortal strain. Shepherds, angels of rapture announced it. Shepherds with wonder receded. Sinner, oh, won't you believe it? Wonderful story of love. And there outside the building, that old man on Saturday night, he found it. Folks, we found the answer. If we found it, we ought to go tell it. If we found the food, then there's a famine in the land. Listen, do you know what? You know, we have, the, we have in this book and in the salvation God has given us, we have what this nation not only needs but has to have. If she, if she exists. We found it! You people tonight here in the service, you have a hunger and you tried liquor. We found it! You folks that have a hunger and you tried dope, we found what you're looking for. The writer of Ephesians says, God has put eternity in our hearts. And you're not going to fill up that place that is made void because of a lack of something eternal with something temporal. You can buy yourself enough clothes to Lady Astor envies you and you become one of the ten best dressed women in America till Jacqueline Kennedy 
envies you and Onassis blushes when you walk by and you will not be happy until you come to Jesus Christ. You can get all the money you want to get until you can own the banks of this town and make Fort Knox borrow from you and, have to, and, and you have to go on the note of the United States government. God knows I wouldn't do it. But, he, but I'm saying you can have enough money till you, you can buy out Onassis and buy out Mr. Hunt and buy out Rockefeller. But you have not found the answer till you found Jesus Christ. There's not any answer apart from him. He's the answer. Look at old Solomon, if you would, please. Solomon had more money than any, any man in the whole nation, but he was miserable. He had, three, he had a thousand women. I mean, 300 wives and 700 concubines. God bless him. He needed some help. I'll tell you for sure. I've often said, how'd you like to come home at night and find uh, 2,000 holes or 1,000 pair of holes hanging on the bathroom uh, uh, shower curtain, the shower rod? Solomon tried women. He had every woman he wanted, but he didn't find the answer. He had houses and lands, but he didn't find the answer. He had pleasure and orchestra and performers and comedians, but he didn't find the answer. He became an old man, and Solomon said, It's like grabbing at the wind. It's like shadow boxing. There's nobody there. It's like swinging a baseball bat and warming up, but no ball to hit. He said, All my life, young people, all my life, I've tried to be happy, and I've sought this and sought that and sought this and sought that. He said, I want to announce the answer. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Oh, listen, these four fellows, they found it! They found it! And they said, we do not well. Let's go back and tell it. In verse 10 it says, So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We, come to the, we came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied in the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. There's the testimony. Like the woman at the well who came to Jesus and ran to the city of Sychar. To me, one of the hardest things any woman ever had to do was that little trip. This was the fallen woman of the city. This was the prostitute of the town. This woman had had five husbands and living outside, living with a man that wasn't her husband. No doubt she had slept with men after man after man in that wicked city of Sychar. She came out and she met Jesus. And first thing she thought, I've got to go tell those men. I've got to tell those men with whom I've, I've, I've lived. I've got to go tell them I've found the Messiah. And she gathered up her skirt, the Bible says, and left her water pots, and she took off her town. And she went up and down the streets of Sychar and said, Hey, come, come see a man that told me all things I ever did. <laughs> now, don't you think she had a hard time convincing those fellows she'd found the Messiah? Huh? But she did. She did. And they came, and many were saved. There's a story, to me, one of the sweetest stories in the Bible, um, in the fifth chapter of Luke, I think it is. Uh, Levi was his name. Listen carefully. I want to tell you a story, and I'll close. Levi was his name. His name was changed to Matthew a little later. He was in Capernaum. He was a tax collector, wicked tax collector. Tax collectors were the most hated people in all the cities because they were guilty of stealing from the people their money and their savings. He said to see the custom as a tax collector, the director of internal revenue for Capernaum. Often he had seen the boys come and go. There was a little boy down in the next town, down the road from Nazareth. His name was Jesus. He was the son of Joseph and Mary, they thought. He had often come. He had grown up in the area. No doubt Matthew had seen him many times as he came by the tax collector's office. Hello, Mr. Levi! Hello! Hello there, Jesus. Jesus was no uncommon name in those days. Hello, Jesus! He'd say. He watched the boy grow to manhood. One day, something happened to Matthew. Are you listening? One day a knock came on the door. Matthew opened the door, and there was Mr. Jesus. He was the carpenter down the way in a town called Nazareth. Matthew had known him since he was a child. Matthew's hair now is turning gray in the temples and perhaps turning loose on top. I don't know. But Matthew's up in years now. It was not unusual for Jesus of Nazareth to drop by for many times he had. Perhaps Matthew, when he had some uh, job to do with his yoke, he had taken the, and had Jesus to make the carpenter of Nazareth to build him a yoke or something. 
No doubt he'd employed him as the carpenter of Nazareth. But this particular day, Jesus of Nazareth came by. He said, Mr. Levi, Mr. Matthew, please, Mr. Levi, I won't talk to you for a while. And Matthew said, all right, Jesus, we've talked before. Have a seat. Now you listen to this. Jesus said something like this. Mr. Matthew, you've known me since I was a little boy. You've watched me grow up. I've got something I want to tell you. Now, get ready for a shot, Mr. Matthew. You know, Mr. Matthew, in Genesis 3.15, you have a Bible, you understand. Genesis 3.15, it tells that someday the Messiah is going to come and the seed of woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. Yes, I understand that, Jesus. I've, I've, I've studied that just like you have. said, Mr. Matthew, Mr. Levi, you also know, don't you, that, that all throughout the Old Testament it tells about the promised Messiah going to come. And you, you, you know Isaiah 7.14 talks about the virgin should conceive and bring forth a son. And Isaiah 9, 6 says, And says, Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You, you know that, Mr. Levi. <laughs> yeah, I know that, Jesus. I understand that. <laughs> you don't have to teach me a Bible lecture. I've known the Bible. I've been to the same synagogue you've been to. I mean, I, Peter and I go to the same synagogue, and, and uh, you have to, have to explain anything to me. Uh, all of, we, we, I know. I know all about the coming Messiah. Jesus said, but uh, Mr. Levi, I hope you won't think I'm being brash or presumptuous, but uh, I'm the Messiah. You're what? You're what? I'm, I'm the Messiah. And Levi says, Jesus, Something's been burning in my heart ever since you walked in here. I mean, I don't know what it is, but I felt strange ever since you walked in here. No doubt Jesus took the Old Testament and showed him how that he fulfilled all the prophecies. And Levi said, Jesus, if you'd have told me this, I'd have called you a liar. But I believe you are. You know what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm going to quit tax collecting business and I want to follow you. And Levi got on his knees, maybe. Maybe he prayed the sinner's prayer. At least he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He's saved now. He has it. He's God's child. He's on his way to heaven. He's born again. But he didn't stop there. Levi sent messages all over the whole country. He said, we're going to have a special meeting. We're going to have a big banquet. I want everybody to come. He invited publicans and sinners to come to that banquet. Now, follow me. Let's, have, let's spread the table for a minute. Don't leave me now. Let's spread the table for a minute. Here's a head table up here. And out this way goes the table, and out that way, and out this way, and out this way. And you never saw such a motley crowd in your life of sinners and publicans. Not sinners and republicans. Said sinners. That's Democrats. And, uh, but uh, said sinners and publicans came. And there Matthew was sitting at the head table. The crowd was buzzing. I wonder why he's had this party. I wonder what it's all about. And the crowd had gathered, and after that eaten, at the expense of Matthew, Matthew stands up, says, Ladies and gentlemen, or gentlemen, I've got an announcement to make. I'm resigning as the tax collector of Capernaum. A great mumbling through the crowd begins to be heard. What? What? Why would Matthew? He's got the best job in the whole area. This is the headquarters of the whole northern region. He's got more money than all of us, or any of us. Why would he want to resign? Listen, listen, I'll tell you. Not many hours ago, I was sitting at the receipt of custom when a young man walked in that I've known since he was a child. His name is Jesus. Grew up down the road in Nazareth as a carpenter's boy down there. In fact, he's a carpenter himself. He walked in. Fellas, I can't explain this to you. I don't understand it all. But when he walked in this time, my heart began to burn on the inside. And he told me he was the Messiah. And fellas, I believe it. I've been born again. I'm a child of God. I'm saved. I want all of you to know about it. I'm resigning. I want you to meet Jesus. See, I want you to see the one 
who changed my life. I want you to see the one who caused me to become a new creature. I want you to see the one for whom I'm leaving everything, my money, my, my, my old life, and everything. I'm quitting my job. I want you to see him. Matthew turns. Jesus, won't you come in? The door opens at the side of the banquet hall, and in walks the lowly stranger of Galilee, the one who was the Son of God. God became flesh. The one who was called the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the fairest of ten thousand. The one who stopped in busy schedules to bless little children. The one who stilled the storms and calmed the waves and raised the dead and healed the sick. The one in whose presence no one ever died, in whose presence no one ever stayed dead. Jesus walks in. Wait a minute. I think we're back in the back of that banquet hall. A little fellow was trying to see. A little short fellow. He too was a publican from down in the Jericho area. His name was Zacchaeus, and all the publicans of the entire area had come. But Zacchaeus was short, and he couldn't see very well, and he's way back in the back trying to get a glimpse of what's going on up there, what's going on up there. And the little Zacchaeus, when Jesus walked in, Zacchaeus said, there's something about him. Oh, to think that Matthew would leave everything for, for that man. There's something about him, and his heart began to beat faster. And all of a sudden, his, his heart began to pound in his breast. And Zacchaeus said, I'd like to be a Christian. I wish I had what Matthew had. I wish I had the courage to stand up and do what he did. Oh, I, I, I believe he's the Messiah, too. I'd like to have what Matthew has. I'd like to have my name written in heaven. I'd like to have my sins forgiven. Oh, if I had the look on my face that Matthew has on his. Jesus extended his hands that soon were to feel the piercing of the nails. He smiled with a face that soon was to feel the piercing of the crown of thorns. He stood with a body that soon was to feel the piercing of the spear in his precious side. He walked on bare feet that soon would feel the crushing pain of the nails nailing him to a cross. And he spoke, I'm the Messiah. Oh, there was a holy hush that spread over that crowd that night. Conviction settled. And I think Matthew must have done what I would have done. He must have put his arm around Jesus and said, Jesus, I just want everybody to see you. I want all the old crowd to see you. I want all of them to have what I have. I wish they knew you like I know you. I wish they'd follow you like I follow you. I'm sure Matthew turned and said, Folks, I recommend him to everybody who's here. And we're back in the back. The little fellow was squirming and wiggling and trying to get a glimpse a little bit. I think, he, I think maybe he said, Ah! No, no, I'm not a little fella, and they'd make fun of me. No, 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 I can't, I mustn't. He walked out in the dark of the night and started his long trek back toward Jericho. It must have been a 40-mile journey. His heart began to pound faster in his breast. He went home. His wife met him. His eyes were red. His lips were quivering. His wife said, what's wrong? What happened to you? He said, it's not what happened to me, sweetheart. It's what I wanted to happen. I saw somebody the like of whom I'd never seen before. You know what Matthew did? Matthew, I mean the big boy up in Capernaum, the guy that's over all of us. You know what he did? He resigned his job. Best job in all of Palestine. He resigned it. What? What? Matthew? Yeah. Why? He told us about Jesus. The fellow's raised up there in Nazareth. He says he's the Messiah. Sweetheart, I believe he is. I believe he is. I mean... I never saw anybody like that before. And you should have seen Matthew. He's not the same fella. He talks about being born again and redeemed and, and saved. And, but, but I don't know what it is, but something's happened to Matthew. And I'd give anything in the whole world to have what he has. And I'll tell you one thing. If I ever see him again, I'm going to trust him like Matthew did. I'm going to follow him if I ever see him again. Wish I had last night to live over again. If I had last night to live over again, I'd bet sure trust him. He lives day after day after day. His mind wanders back to that meeting up yonder at Capernaum. One morning he picks up the Jericho Morning News. He reads it. Has headlines. Says, the strange Jesus is coming through Jericho tomorrow. <laughs> and back here I said, I've been waiting on this day. I've been waiting on this day. Boy, oh boy, Jesus is going to come through. I, I'm going to trust him. That's what I'm going to do. I can get a glimpse of him. I'm going to tell him I'm going to be his follower. His heart beats faster. He goes home and he says to his wife, look, said, in, case, in case we can't, he said, fix up some, 
some meat, no ham now, and, and no pork and no bacon, but fix up some kosher food. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down and I'm going to stop Jesus as he comes down the street. I'm going to invite him to come to our house and we're going to feed him. He gets up early the next morning. He goes down to where the road that Jesus is going to pass. But the crowd is always there. Oh, Zacchaeus said, I've got to see him. But he's a little short fellow. And the people are all lined up on the other side of the street. And Zacchaeus says, I can't see him. I've, I've got to see him. By the way, if you will not go to hell, you will have to go to hell. If you will pass on to Jesus, he'll save you. There'll be a way. And, uh, and Zacchaeus said, I'm going to go up on top of the house. And so he goes inside somebody's house. And up the stairs he goes on the top. But the people are lined up on top of the houses too. Zacchaeus begins to cry. And he says, I've got to see him. I saw him once. I'll never forget his face. I'll never forget what he did to Matthew. I've got to see him. His heart's pounding faster. And suddenly he gets the idea. There's an old sycamore tree. I'm going to climb it. Suppose you walk down the street tomorrow and saw Mr. Walker back here, Vice President of Hoosier State Bank, up a tree. Hmm? Suppose you walked down the street and saw Ed Rouse, chairman of our deacon board, up in the top of a sycamore tree looking down. You'd say, poor old Ed. Running around with Ohio's has finally got to it. And everybody said, hey, Hey, Mommy, <laughs> look who's up a tree. <laughs> I'd like to saw that tree down. <laughs> There's your that dirty tax collector. Who wouldn't like to get at the internal revenue one time? I'll bind you one thing, boy. If internal revenue folks ever get up a tree, I'd like to saw it down. <laughs> and there he is. Hey, look at old Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is not worried about any criticism. By the way, you, you better not be worried about any criticism either. If you lose your friends to go to heaven, you better lose your friends and get to heaven. If you've got to be cussed to get to heaven, you better be cussed and go to heaven. Forget your money. Forget your prestige. Forget your ceremony. Forget your name. Forget your evidence. But don't miss heaven. And old Zacchaeus climbs up the tree, up in the top of that tree. I was out visiting in Hammond not long ago, a year or two ago. Knocked on the door. Fellow said, I'm up here. I said, where are you? He said, up a tree. He's up a tree over the porch, just pruning the tree. He said, I'll be right down. I said, never mind, I'll come up. I climbed up the tree. I got on limb across from him, opened the Bible to the story of Zacchaeus and told him how Zacchaeus got saved up a tree and this fellow got saved up a tree. He's on one limb and I was on the other. When he bowed his head to pray, I didn't close my eyes. <laughs> but Zacchaeus, he, he, suddenly he saw in the distance a silhouette. And he saw the crowds following. Some were praising and some were cursing. Some were throwing palm leaves and some were throwing stones. But there's Jesus of Nazareth, the lowly man of Galilee. He's coming through my town. He'll never come through again. That's the only chance you'll ever have, Zacchaeus. You miss this chance, you'll never have another. And Jesus of Nazareth passes by today. And Zacchaeus said, I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. And soon he gets closer and closer, and Zacchaeus' heart, heart begins to beat faster. And he says, that's the face I saw. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And he gets down. Jesus gets down below, beneath where Zacchaeus is. He looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. I'm going to eat at your house today. You know why he said that? He saw Mrs. Zacchaeus preparing those black-eyed peas and okra and squash. He knew it. He knew it. That's preaching, ain't it? And uh, he knew it. He saw her. And Zacchaeus came down to the tree. And I think he fell and said, Jesus, what did Matthew do to get happy? What did Matthew do? What did you do to him? And Jesus told him how that he was soon going to die on the cross and pay the penalty for all the sins of all the world. And Zacchaeus fell at his feet and said, I believe. And Jesus said, This day is salvation. Come to your house. You know why it all happened? Because up yonder 40 miles north in the city of Capernaum, a fellow who found the answer called his old crowd together and told them the answer. Two people I want to talk to tonight. I want to talk to those lepers here, this leper who's found the food of Syria. I want to talk to you. Are you going back and telling folks about it? Huh? Hey, are you going back and telling folks about it? Huh? Have you found it? How many are saved? Raise your hand way up high. Way up high. Way up high. Put your hands down. All right. Now, what are you doing? Are you just 
storing it up, rejoicing in it, enjoying the food? Or are you going back and telling the whole host that doesn't know about it that Jesus saved? Huh? And to those of you tonight who are not saved, listen to me as I lovingly plead once again with you. God loves you tonight. Jesus died for you on the cross. We know, we know, we know, we know. And there is something to this Christianity. Christ is the answer. It's trite but true, but he is the answer. And that hunger, hunger, hunger in your heart can be satisfied only by the bread of life. And that thirst of your soul can only be satisfied by the living water. And that darkness in which you walk can only be illuminated by the light of the world, which is Jesus. I beg you tonight, if you don't know him, we found the answer. Did you ever want to just grab somebody and shake them and say, Listen, man, you've got to listen. You've got to listen. We found the answer. We found the answer. We found the answer. Take Jesus. That's the answer. All because Matthew was faithful to tell what he'd found. Little Zacchaeus came to the Savior. Tonight, if you're not spreading the news of Christ and telling others what you found, here's an altar. Thank you for listening, and if you like this please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group Jesus Answers Prayer.